I've been working at um, a series, Why Do Christians Lack Power? And the reason why I want to um, explore this area is because I have, over the years that I've been in leadership, have seen um, many people trying hard day after day, um, conference after conference, Bible study after Bible study, to, to get people healed, get people delivered, sometimes with success, but sometimes without. And yet, we know that when Jesus called the 12 to him in Luke's chapter 9, it says he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure, I assume, all diseases. And so I want to explore and see why I'm having difficulty not seeing everybody healed, every demon cast out, why you don't see it perhaps, and why the church doesn't see it, and why our nation doesn't see it happening. A few years ago I heard a man that spent time here in Canada, he was a government official from India, spent time here when he went home, he made this comment. He said, Christians are ordinary people who make extraordinary claims, but they live ordinary lives. And so that caught my attention. And so in this series of Why Do Christians Lack Power, I want to look at some of the different areas that I believe are responsible for our lack of power. In case you've been raised or taught that the, the miracles of God are all finished, first of all, there is really no scripture that says they are finished. They take from 1 Corinthians 13 that when the perfect comes, the gifts will pass away. I'm paraphrasing that. But see, they interpret the per perfect as when the scriptures were formed. But that perfect, in my thinking, is when Jesus returns. He's the perfect one when he returns. Now, just to kind of underline the reason why I'm doing this and the, and the proof for why I'm doing this is found in a man, his name is Ramsey McMullen. And in his book, it's called Christianizing the Roman Empire, A.D. 100 to 400. Yale University Press has it. It's available on some of the bookstores and online. I'll say it again, Ramsey McMullen, Christianizing the Roman Empire, A.D. 100 to 400. He talks about the stuff he has found. He's a professor of early Roman history at Yale University. He's probably retired now, but he was. Wipikiti says he's the foremost authority on early Roman history. And so when he was doing his research, studying stuff they found in their digs that they do and uncovering the towns and the villages of that era, he found a lot of documentation that talks about these little Christians. He calls them little, little prophets sometimes. How they just roam through the countryside coming into towns and villages, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and the whole town would turn to the Lord. 
and he shows us at the end of the year 400, even though Rome was a totally pagan empire when Jesus walked on this earth, at the end of the year 400 AD, he records Rome as being a Christian empire, out of which came our church, of course. So if they did it so many years after all the apostles were dead, according to the history, and he wrote the book because it deserves to be recorded as history, we need to pay attention to it. So in the book of Acts, there were seven sons of Sceva who cast a demon out of, tried to cast a demon out of a man. Those seven guys got beat up by one guy. So why couldn't he cast it, even though he was saying the name of Jesus? And then there was the question of the, of the, um, the man who brought his son and said, I asked, this, I asked the disciples if they could cast it out, and they could not. But yet Paul, in the book of Acts, Acts 16, when he spoke to a girl with a familiar spirit, he cast it out just like that. And so I'm trying to explore why some couldn't and some could. So bear with me. My topic for this particular section is the marks of Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 17, he said, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I believe Paul was deeply hurt by the Galatian church. He'd spent time there, establishing, teaching, discipling. We don't know how much time, but he obviously was very familiar with the church there. Then he writes his letter, and he makes it very clear that they've gone back into the old Jewish law, doing Jewish seminar, uh, festivals, doing Jewish traditions, and keeping Jewish holidays. And he is so distraught by it. He actually says, who has bewitched you? Who has caused you to do this thing? So he was deeply hurt by these people. So there might be emotional wounds that Paul had to deal with. And we know when he finally said this, finally, you guys can't cause me trouble. I think that means I'm going forward anyway. And, and he could have said, you can go forward if you repent of going back. Because a lot of the... The Christians who had been Jews and, the, and Christianity was outlawed and they were suffering persecution in many cases. They were going back to Judaism, including circumcision, in order to save themselves from the persecution that was coming against them. Listen to Paul's sufferings. I'm going to be reading quite a bit here from Paul's letter. Acts 14, verse 19, I'll just mention this. He was stoned, then dragged from the city and left dead. I don't, if you can imagine somebody heaving rocks at you, when you're, they're up on a ledge, you're down below and they heave rocks until you're dead. That would leave some physical scars. In Acts 16, it says he was beaten with many stripes. And you see, the Jews 
and had a, a law from Moses that could not do any more than 39 stripes. But the Romans, they didn't have a law like that. They could do as many as they felt like doing. In 2 Corinthians 11, he was, it says he was beaten with stripes beyond measure. That, mean, that would mean beyond the 39. He was beaten probably by the Romans. And the Jews, because they hated him so much, probably didn't step in and say that's wrong according to our laws. The five beating from the Jews, multiply that by 39 times. That leaves a lot of scars. There's, there's not much described, just mentioned. Three times he was whipped with rods. Again, this was the Roman punishment. There was no limit on what they could do. It says many times he was severely beaten. Even though he was a Roman citizen and Romans were not to be beaten by rod, he was still beaten by rod. Talk about injustice piled upon injustice. Second Corinthians 6 he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in trouble, hardship, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, in purity, pardon me, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand, that would be the scepter, and, and, and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, not making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Through, I'm just recapping a few of Paul's afflictions and his hardships. And you see the, the, the rods, the stripes, the stonings, they would leave physical marks on Paul's physical body. And so when he's talking about the marks of Jesus, I believe he's talking about something that... The enemy could physically see. They may not be able to see his emotional wounds because he knew how to deal with the woundedness and be healed. But they could see the outward. And then he says in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. There's dynamite in this. Listen. I want to know the power of his resurrection. In other words, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul said, I want to realize that power in healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. And how do you get that? By the fellowship of a suffering. So as Paul said, I go through the sufferings, that like what Jesus went through. And as I bear up under them with the right attitude, with a heart that is full of forgiveness, as I bear up under them, 
Thy wounds are healed. And when I cast out a demon, the demon sees those wounds. He knows that I'm a man that has said, I don't care about my life. I live for Jesus. I'm dead to self. I'm living for Jesus. I've given up my rights. I'm living for what God wants. They would know that. And when he was walking in that righteousness, because all those things are scriptural, Jesus told us to lay down our life and live for him. As Paul walked in that, the enemy saw it and could not argue against it. In regard, you see, in God, regardless of all the stuff he went through, this is amazing. In 1 Corinthians 4, this is chapters 9 right through to 13. Listen to it as I read it to you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. I, I must comment on that. You see, he was referring when a, an army had been victorious and they have captured the prisoners that they were fighting, the, the people and their, their enemies. They would have a big victory parade. They came back through the city for everybody to cheer them on as victors. But at the end of that parade, chained or bound by ropes or whatever, would be a trail of the prisoners that they had taken. And those prisoners would be taken and there would be a spectacle in the arena at some time where they would be put to death some way, maybe by lions eating them or in other ways. But they, as Paul says, we feel like we're a spectacle because of the way we've been treated. He says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but we are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. We spend most of our time trying to improve our image. Paul said, my image is totally shot. I'm the scum of the world. You see, he says, I'm, I've been willing to lay down not only my life, but I've been willing to lay down my rights to be treated right. I've been willing to lay down my rights to have the Romans treat me properly, even though I'm a Roman citizen. I've laid down my rights in every area. He says, I'm doing it for Christ. And then he says, in that chapter, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. In other words, be willing to go through what I go through, what I have been through, in order for this to happen. Here's the fruit from Paul's life. Philippians 1, 12 to 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So all the stuff I've been reading, Paul says an advantage to the gospel. It certainly wasn't to him physically. 
It wasn't to him emotionally, perhaps, but it certainly was to the gospel. And that's what he lived for. And that's what Christ is calling us for. I don't know if God has called you to go through being stoned or whipped or the rods taken. I don't know what you've been called to. I don't know what I've been called to. It's an attitude that we need to say. We need to make a choice and make have an attitude that says, Lord, whatever I need to go through, I want to serve you. I want to enter into that fellowship that comes from the suffering that you went through. And if I endure into that suffering, it will bring me into fellowship with you. And he, Paul says there's power of the resurrection that comes out of that suffering. So let's look at Philippians 1. I'm starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul's is, let me paraphrase, my attitude towards all the suffering has been to forgive and thank God that I can go through because the fruit from that has given me the power. Everybody in the palace guard, everybody in prison, the guards, the prisoners, they all know about this Lord Jesus Christ. They know. And also what I'm going through has been an encouragement for the brothers and sisters out there that are working in the church. I think that's extraordinary man that Paul was. But we have to remember, he performed extraordinary miracles. He was willing to lay down his rights. He was willing to say, it doesn't matter. As Jesus gave up his rights, he didn't have to come from heaven in the first place. He didn't have to go to the cross. He could have changed his mind. And I believe the Father would have. And the Garden of Gethsemane says, Lord, if it's possible. It says because of his godly fear in Hebrews, God would have answered his prayer. God heard his prayer. But you see, Jesus gave up the right. He gave up the right to be popular. He gave up the right to be successful. If you look at Jesus' life from a standpoint of most of our churches today as to what success is, Jesus was a failure. Here's his secret. This is Paul and Silas in prison in Acts 16. The crowd, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Somebody spread a lie about them. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Right there. No, no court to decide right or wrong. Just strip them and beat them. After they've been severely, that means beyond the measure 39 probably, after being severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Um, now, let me, th we need to look at that. If that was me, probably about midnight, Howard was grumbling and plaining about the misuse. That would be my old flesh. 
But see, they chose to walk in the Spirit through this. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were so loud they could hear them. Now, what's his secret? His secret's found in Philippians 4, verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What is Paul's secret? Paul's secret is an attitude that he chose to have. Your flesh won't agree with what you know you should do, so you need to make a choice what you should do. Ignore the flesh, put it to death, even declare, flesh, I order you to be dead. I'm living for Jesus. And say, I choose to go through this hard time. I go through, choose to go through this rejection that my friend just gave me. I choose to go through it with thanksgiving. I'm, I, I prayed blessing on them because we're supposed to bless our enemies. And pray for those that despitefully use you. I choose to do those things, Lord God, so you can heal me and I can go on and proclaiming the gospel. There's people out there that they've been hurt and wounded and they spend the rest of their lives running to counselors to be healed. The Bible says very clearly, if you will forgive, you need to bless your enemy. You need to pray for those that despitefully use you. And the Lord says, by your wounds, by his wounds we are healed. That passage in 1 Peter 2, 3, and 4 is about emotional wounds. Peter, Paul had learned that. Paul was saying, I have found the secret. I chose to do what the Spirit wants, not what my flesh wants. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 2, Peter here speaking about in the, you know, chapters 2, 3, and 4, 1 Peter, all about injustice. It says, to this you were called, He's talking about injustice. We've been called it. He mentions that twice, that phrase in this passage of Scripture. Because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. The demons didn't respond to Paul and leave because he was an apostle, although that had something to do with it. But because they saw the marks of Jesus, they said, now there's an apostle. He's totally dead to what he wants, and he's totally alive to what God wants. He's got all those marks over him to prove that he's given up all those rights of being able to live a comfortable life and a secure life. He's given up all those rights. Therefore, we have no option against the authority that those marks have given him, against that authority of righteousness, which I spoke one time lately on the scepter of righteousness. Because he did what Jesus called him to do, he had the authority, not just the power, but the authority, and Satan could not handle that authority. 
her big hindrance to this whole issue of being willing to accept what the kingdom of God has so he can be glorified, so his name can be um, upon our lips with authority and power. Our reserve is because of self-preservation. We want to save ourselves. We want to be comfortable. We want to be satisfied. And you see, God wants to bless us in those areas, but there may be times when he's asking us to put up with something that's very uncomfortable. You might say, oh, I just want what I deserve. Well, don't say that, because the wages of sin is death, Paul said to the Romans in chapter 6. We don't want what we've earned. It's, it's death. We want the gift of God, which is righteousness and long life. Without holiness, we will not see God, says so. So th I'm not talking about um, plan B here. This is plan A. There is no plan B. We want the anointing and the power of God. We've got to make a decision. I'm going to walk through the hassles and the, and the issues of life. I'm going to walk through them and have a right attitude and bless God that I'm going home. In the name of Jesus, Father, Help these people to understand what I've said in the name of Jesus. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.